0: Good morning. I am Alan Winslow. It's My privilege to serve you this morning and in, in the uh, just opening up the Word of God to you. Um, I obviously don't preach that often. I really appreciate when I have an opportunity. Um, it's a it's a way to serve the Lord. But also I love the way it 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 um, causes me to to step into a piece of Scripture. And just live there and, and stay there. And how faithful the Holy Spirit is to just open things up. Scripture, in some ways, is like this big connected. It's all one part connects to another. And I've never yet found any passage of Scripture that I would call small. Because when you really look at it, it's like it starts growing arms and legs and touching other, other themes in the Word. So... Um, I always come away from a time of preaching richer in my own faith and understanding. So I appreciate that. So we'll be looking at Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12 today. There are two parts to this passage. The first is Jesus and the Pharisees and the welcome committee and uh, how that goes. And, and really it's about, well, and when I'll be talking about that and discussing the um, kind of the dangers and the pitfalls of pride and self-sufficiency. And... Uh, Then Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples weren't real sharp on this one, as is often true. But the disciples were with Jesus. And that really makes all the difference. And it's the same truth for us. And so I'll be talking about that. And then I will thankfully, since um, Mark uh, Mark, uh, Davis talked about, huh? Brian, Brian Brian Davis, sorry. Brian Davis talked about the sign of Jonah. I will actually be talking about that. I was glad. Um, So let's read the passage. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning, it it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, "O you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have committed so much of who you are somehow into the pages of your word, Lord, with the Holy Spirit uh, just using what you have written, Lord, to open up so much truth to us about what's true, about you, about us, and what's eternal and lasting. Lord, I ask your blessing today on... um, Lord, the things that I say, I pray that you would take, Lord, anything of value and worth and that you would interpret it to the hearts and minds of your people, Lord, that your body would be built up and you would be glorified. I commend this time to you, Lord Jesus, and ask for your blessing. Amen. So Jesus has been among the Gentiles. There's the Canaanite woman with the great faith who... Whose daughter was healed? There's the the healing. He, he did a lot of healing uh, to the people in the who were Gentiles in that area, and uh, and then the, the feeding of the four thousand. So he's been away from home, so to speak, and this now he's coming back to a Jewish part to Dalmanutha, and he has a welcoming committee, and um, this is serious because this is Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're together in one committee. And they hated each other. Remember when Paul is before the crowds in Jerusalem, before the, the council in Jerusalem, and he ends up you know, saying, you know, I'm, I'm on trial today for my hope in the resurrection. And they're at each other. <laughs> they are fighting and Paul gets off the hook. So that, that's the Pharisees and Sadducees. They do not like each other. But they're together because they don't like Jesus even more. And they're they are more about the status quo so it's kind of like I see, you know, it's like you're coming, coming to the shore. <laughs> They're spread out. Um, I have a friend a few, some years ago. He had a 17-year-old son. My friend was a believer. His son was not. And uh, his son was into drugs and alcohol and a lot of things that were not good. And he was his son had been pulled over by a policeman and and I don't know what it was for, but he ended up in the policeman's car in the front seat, and the policeman got out to do something. So he just slid over to that seat, took off, drove to his own home in the policeman's car. And my friend, who happened to be driving home about the same time, kept having to pull over for these cars, police cars that kept passing him, and it's like, I know where they're going. And when he got home, there was a light show and a welcoming committee for him. So... Not exactly the same, but kind of the same feel. Um, the Sadducees especially were... They were more about... They were located in Jerusalem. They were they were more influential. They had more wealth. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So they had a real focus on just the here and now. And they didn't come north to the sticks very much. But they were there. And so you knew this meant this was probably trouble. Uh, so their request they asked him for a sign, and their request was not about coming to faith in Jesus. It was not so they could believe in Jesus. We, we know that because in Nicodemus, you do have someone who comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God because nobody could do the things you do unless God were with him. So if they were really interested in in coming to Jesus and believing in him, the, the, the proof, the evidence, the miracles were were plentiful, were already done and were were out there. But that wasn't what it was about. Now remember, Jesus was we know him as a man, but Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he didn't he didn't parade that about. He didn't even talk about it so much. But it's what he was. And his words always reflected that. He never minced words. He never compromised the truth. And he behaved in a way that was consistent with God incarnate. So, this, you know, the true picture of what's going on here is not these powerful Pharisees and Sadducees coming to sort of rein in this rebel preacher of righteousness. It was God incarnate, He was not on trial, they were. Uh, So that's just to give you a perspective on on really what was going on. Uh, So don't be deceived by Jesus' love and humility. He he was um, always God in the flesh. Okay, now Jesus never wasted anything that he said or did. Everything that Jesus did had a purpose, brought a message, and in some sense revealed something about the character and nature of God. So this big delegation from the Pharisees and Saddu- Sadducees, um, it's like they want him to do something. It's like, kind of like, and show us what you got. Kind of like Herod in Jerusalem when Jesus was before Pilate and goes to Herod, this kind of like Der- Herod's like, he was wanted to see Jesus because he wanted Jesus to perform a sign. This is what they wanted. And it was not about coming to faith. It was about sort of getting Jesus to buy into their place and to validate them. So, he wasn't interested. <laughs> they wanted the credibility and uh, obvious God blessing uh, that, connected, that attached to Jesus, his teaching and his miracles. And you wanted him to sort of endorse them and their place in Israel. Now, what they didn't know that in 40 years, not only would lose their place in the country, a position that they held most unfaithfully, but they the whole nation of Israel would cease to exist. Jesus was their one true hope. But they were deeply blind in their own apostasy to who Jesus was. So they understood whether, but they, com- but they completely missed who God was and what God was doing. So no sign for these evil and adulterous misleaders of Israel. Now the Pharisees were more, pl- I'm gonna dis- discuss them now, who they were and how they thought. The Pharisees were more politically radical, but their faith was expressed in an outward observance uh, of rules and laws that that really did not deal with the sin in the human heart uh, and and had no ability to soften a, a hard heart. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees bypassed faith, not seeing any particular value in trusting God for mercy or in looking to him for help, but trusting in their own efforts and actions and authority." Like yeast, their way of thinking completely permeated everything they did and believed in. That is that human effort are first and carry more weight than looking to God for help. Uh, and along these lines, Jesus in Matthew twenty three verses sixteen to twenty two says Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides, he's speaking to the Pharisees, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by the one who sits upon it. So the Pharisees had things exactly backwards. They gave, they gave more weight to physical realities. So you had to, I had to buy a, or slaughter a lamb or something, some animal, or the, the gold in the temple. That's really what makes the temple valuable, not that God dwells there. And it was just the opposite was true. Spiritual, eternal things always far outweigh the way things look. The way things that are around us now are not going to... Most things that are around us now are not going to make the cut to eternity. Most things around us now will pass away, and eternity will be great. Well, there's a new heavens and a new earth. <laughs> it's not like we're just sitting in space. But, um, but to, uh, to put too much weight on the things around us is kind of like going native. Uh, John was telling me about someone, a missionary he heard about who, you know, they, they're, they're trained to contextualize the gospel and to try to present the gospel in a way that maybe Muslims can hear. You try to be unoffensive. And this person had um, gone so far as that they actually started calling themselves a Muslim. Okay, that's too far. <laughs> You're a Christian. You have the gospel. You stay in the gospel and you preach the gospel. You don't you don't uh, contextualize it to the point where you lose it. And the same with, uh, with the Pharisees, the same with us. We're not supposed to feel native, not supposed to become so identified with the things of earth that they become the most important or most real things to us. Okay, apart from faith in God, we will be unable to discern what is truly important and eternal in this life. God made us to glorify him, to represent him, to know him. But in a fallen world, there is a constant clamor for our attention and we are in a constant undertow away from Christ and all things eternal towards the demands and apparent truths of this world. So the Pharisees um, and the Sadducees are of the darkness. They are held in the grip of pride and self-sufficiency and under the tyranny of the way things look from the outside. In the garden, when Eve saw that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food. I mean, it was a delight to the eyes. Uh, It was good for food, and it was desired to make one wise. It's like everything about the tree looked wonderful and lovely. But to eat that fruit, Eve had to turn away from God, had to turn away from his words. She was won over by the hope of having her own wisdom and her own glory apart from God. And the Pharisees are standing in that same lineage and heritage of wanting their own righteousness, not having to depend on God. Pride and self-sufficiency are evil. They are the fork in the road that when taken make much of us and less of God. They may not feel evil in the beginning, but we were never made, designed, or meant to live life in our own strength. Apart from God, we have been wired from the beginning to live life with God, to know him, to reflect his glory. We were and are made to represent him on the earth. Initially, it was by exercising dominion over every living thing on earth. And now in the aftermath of the fall and the giving of the Great Commission, I believe our dominion mandate is fulfilled in the Great Commission in taking the gospel to all the world as God's witnesses. So the Pharisees did search, search the scriptures, but they missed God's heart. And when you miss his heart, you miss his plan and his purposes. Romans 9 30 to 33 says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But the Israel who pursued a law That would lead to righteousness. Did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written. Behold I am laying in Zion. A stone of stumbling. And a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him. Will not be put to shame. Israel led by the Pharisees. Missed Jesus. When you make scripture about you and how well you're doing, then you will see far different things than if you believe it's first of all about God, who he is, and what he has done. Scripture reveals God is infinitely holy and sovereign, that God himself became our redeemer and savior at a cost to himself that we can only wonder at and be humbled by, that he is both high and holy and closer than a brother. Our Lord who loves. (laughs) I really love handling God's truths. Sometimes they just stand up and like (laughs) humble me. Our Lord. Loves us relentlessly. He is always on the job. Always working for his glory and our good. The Pharisees were willfully blind and could not recognize and had no place or any categories to make room for the mighty love and grace of God that Jesus revealed. They could marvel at his words as when he blew through their trap about paying taxes to Caesar But ultimately were unable to give him the honor that he deserved. And so were left in the poverty of their own opinions and pride. So Pharisees and Sadducees had cobbled together a system of righteousness that no longer depended on God. It was do these things, do them this way, walk this far on the Sabbath, eat this much food. Um, Now you could do those things with a heart for God, doing the things, there's nothing evil about doing the things they did, but they also, you could do them without caring at all about God. They didn't soften your heart. They didn't put you in a dependent relationship on God. So, it became, over time, just this thing you did and it made you a good person. Um, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. Oops, into something. <laughs> uh, they put in a system of righteousness that did not inculcate humi- humility, but instead fed pride. And remember the story of the Pharisee praying in the temple: "God, I thank you, them, not like other men." How's that for the start of a prayer? And they went on to list in what ways they were better. Uh, it was that kind of fruit that the law-based righteousness creates, pride and looking down on others, and it hides the abject spiritual poverty of those who practice it, and so it keeps them from true repentance and faith and from seeing the glory and wonder of righteousness by grace through faith. The law was meant to show them the depth and width of their sin and to keep them in a covenant relationship with God, but it was never meant as a vehicle to confer righteousness. It could not do that. Not designed to do that. Galatians 3.21-24 says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law had a purpose, and, and, and it was a holy, gracious purpose that God would use, not about becoming righteous. So here's a true picture of what was happening with Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus was not is God incarnate. But somewhere along the way, the Pharisees had shouldered God to the side. And again, Matthew's um, excuse me, Mark 78 through 13 says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But if you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Anyone who handles or teaches the word of God must rightly divide the word of truth. That is, you must be careful to make clear what it does say without making it Agree with you. The Pharisees held that place of authority, sitting in the seat of Moses, but along the way became kind of pragmatists and lost sight of faith and the grandeur of God. The Pharisees were locked in blind unbelief, and in their folly, they, were, they actually set aside what God truly said and said, put themselves in front and said, here's what God meant. And that's deadly. <laughs> um, The Pharisees were locked in blind unbelief. They do not see, they do not understand, and they do not want to understand. The Pharisees and Sadducees sought the gratification of signs without the obligation of obeying the God who gave them. Jesus had done tons of miracles meant to validate who he was, intended to bring repentance and faith. But everything that Jesus is and does just bounces off the willfully blind Missing Jesus, the darkness and hardness of their hearts deepened. To see the, to see the light of the world, Jesus, and to reject him, to prefer, prefer their darkness over the beauty and grace, meant a deeper lostness for them, as in building the walls of their prison higher. So Jesus just walked away from them. He had nothing to say to them that they could hear. So that's, uh, now let's look at, Jesus and the Disciples, part two. It's about Jesus and the disciples and living by faith. So Jesus and his disciples uh, leave their home ground and apparently go back to be among the Gentiles again. Kind of like went home, met them, turned around, (laughs) went back to the Gentiles. Safer and more more friendly. It was apparently a quiet trip back until they crossed over and landed when Jesus, I think he was thinking about this whole confrontation, confrontation With the Pharisees and and um, the way they're the leaven, the way they think, and so he says to the disciples, "Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees." And then they seem to launch into a discussion about forgetting the bread again, and probably whose fault it was. And then Jesus calls out to them, "You little of faith!" They he gets a they get a pretty good rebuke <laughs> if you look at the rebukes they got over time this is this is a good one uh, i'm paraphrasing now a little bit it's like how can you be talking about forgetting the bread and borrowing from mark's account he said do you not perceive or understand are your hearts hardened having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear do you not remember the five loaves for the 5000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak to you about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood they did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the disciples were disappointingly dense in this matter, but Jesus had much to say to them. Uh, it was, this was not like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have nothing to say to. The disciples, they're with him. They believe in him. He's got plenty to say to them. And even if it's strong, it's for their good. Uh, He was their rabbi and willingly engaged in correcting and teaching them. The disciples were slow to understand here, but they were not hardened in their sin as the Pharisees and Sadducees were. They had been schooled by their upbringing to think of righteousness as something that they did. This way of thinking then goes... uh, When something goes wrong, thinks, um, what did I do to deserve this? Or maybe, I don't deserve this. So when Jesus talked about leaven, immediately they looked for something they'd done wrong. And thought they'd found it. We forgot the bread. Which uh, earned them a fairly sharp rebuke from Jesus. But I think the biggest and telling difference between the disciples and the Pharisees is that the disciples were with Jesus. They believed in him. They weren't coming to test him. They listened to him. Uh, Though they were often slow to understand him, staying with him eventually made all the difference in their lives. And they were their eventual and tremendous fruitfulness in the kingdom of God because they just stayed with Jesus. And that works for us. In our faith, we're not the rock stars. It's not about how hard we work. It's about who we're with, who we believe in. Jesus will take us where we need to go. We just need to stay with him. Uh, connecting and engaging with Jesus is our one hope that will never disappoint us and will ensure our fruitfulness in God's kingdom as well. It takes faith to see things the way they really are. The way things look outwardly will often lie to us. Remember and hold on to the things that you know to be true. Recalling the feeding of the five and 4,000, then never worry about God's provision again. Remember that, hold on to that, and put worry to the side. Remember to count on and look to God first. Having faith and trusting in God is not just the province of of super spiritual types, but 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 should be the bread and butter that we all live in daily. We are saved by grace through faith. We live every day, every moment of our lives now by grace through faith. Faith hopes in, trusts in, and gives way to who God is and what he has done. The things we do and see around us now will all someday pass away, but faith along with hope and love never will. We need to get used to living in and embracing this upside down way of looking at things in all of life. The unseen and eternal things are evidenced by fruit and will never pass away, um, while most things that are big now will not make the cut to eternity. In heaven, no one grows old, There is no more fear, pain, or suffering, no wars. God himself will be visible to us and will be the light that we live in. We are not living our best lives now. Our true true birthright and heritage are waiting for us in heaven, are ours in Christ because of who he is and what he has done. I want to be as clear as I can be here. I'm not saying that what we do in this physical material world uh, that we live in now is insignificant. Uh, but we must not go native. Jesus, uh, we must not put our hope or trust in what we can do or buy our own or win here. We need to keep eternity on our radar. There's nothing wrong with working hard at things we believe in. Um, men providing for your families, food, clothing, shelter, it's a big deal. Moms and dads nurturing your children and inculcating faith in the Lord in their lives moms, all the love and sacrifice that you pour into your husbands and children, none of that will be lost in the kingdom of God. Only let your love for and relationship with Christ absolutely penetrate everything that you do. Let your faith and trust in Christ and the gospel be the leaven that permeates and informs every choice and decision that you make Learn to turn away from and recognize the putting of this present world, first leaven, that, that of the Pharisees, and embrace fully and delight in the righteousness by faith that is ours in Christ. Now, there was a time in my life when I was grateful for grace, but I was kind of ashamed of it, too. I kind of felt like I have grace because I keep messing up, and, um, which was true, <laughs> But what I didn't understand that was my good behavior was not ever going to be a platform to live my life on. Because truly life is all of grace. And every aspect of life that we live in Christ is based on who Christ is and what he has done. Not who I am and how well I'm doing. Remember the Canaanite woman. What did she have to come to Christ with? A knowledge of her own sin. A need for her daughter for healing and faith in Christ. So she had her need, knowledge of her sin, and she had Christ. And Jesus delighted in her. Oh woman, great is your faith. Faith in Jesus, trusting in him, moves him to delight. So keep that in front of you, always. How well you're doing with whatever challenges you're facing are not the most important thing about you. Your hope and your faith and your dependence on Christ are. So let a love for living holy in Christ by grace through faith permeate and suffuse the way that you think and make decisions. When we look at and think about our lives apart from faith, we miss what's really true and begin to believe in smaller things. Things that shouldn't be an issue at all. Food, clothes, the kind of car we drive, or whether or we are thought well of by our peers. And this could be a really big list. Um... But we are called to live by faith, to trust Jesus at all times and in all things. Even the ability to to see and understand what is most important in our lives and how we spend ourselves can only truly be comprehended when we are living and learning to trust in Christ at all times and in all things. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. So, faith, living by faith, takes patience. It often means waiting on the Lord for wisdom and grace to make our best decisions and choices. Um, And here's where the basics of our faith become so significant. In our Bibles, we have God's very words given to us. It is such a treasure. Um, He also, after the cross, sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to convict us of sin, to remind us of everything that Jesus said, and to give us words and power to be witnesses And day in and day out, one of my favorite things the Holy Spirit does is that he meets me in Scripture. So that when we spend time with God in his word, we can also truly meet him in what is written. Um, Spending time with God in his word, the Spirit faithfully meeting with us, is maybe the best way to train our senses away from the way things look to the way things are. Then submitting ourselves to the clear teaching of God's word To obey them, being doers and not hearers only, is how we truly live out what we believe. Having a vital prayer in which we call or cry out to God to help, uh, call out for his blessing and grace, is a lifelong privilege. Uh, He is neither surprised or put off by anything that we come to him with. And he is so gracious to bring us the help and uh, the grace that we need to thrive in his kingdom. Repentance and faith are a tandem that we should all be familiar with. Um, When the Holy Spirit highlights something in us that doesn't measure up in his kingdom, it's not about condemnation. It's about showing us. It's about bringing repentance and then bringing faith to reconcile us to God. Uh, One of God's most gracious gifts is repentance and then the faith to step back into Christ. God has never left us on our own. But there are times when we prefer to be left alone. Uh, But we can even pray about that when it comes down to it. Being in fellowship, seeking godly counsel from fellow believers that we love and respect in the Lord. Learning to offer praise and worship to God all week long. uh, Quiet private worship sometimes in which we just pray and extol our Savior also softens our hearts and builds our faith. Uh, making much of God and less of us. So our lives in Christ are meant to be tangibly full of Christ. Our hope is not in working hard and practicing discipline, though we should do both. Our fruitfulness and obedience come from the work of the Holy Spirit in us every day and all the time. Again, like the Canaanite woman, let us come to Christ with hearts full of hope and faith to receive what we need. Not waiting to get our act together, but honoring Christ by coming to him by faith, in his love, and in his ability to make the difference. We can all do that. There's one more thing in this passage that I want to address, and that's the sign of Jonah. The first idea in this in that concept is the one of raising from the dead. Now, Jonah wasn't technically dead, but I think... Three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish and then being spit out on land. That qualifies. We can call that raising from the dead. Um, And Jesus did that. He died, he took our sin, he paid the price of our reconciliation and he was buried and rose again. Uh, The second concept I want to talk about from the sign of Jonah is what Jonah did when he came back. He went, the word of the Lord came to him again, and he went and preached repentance to the Gentiles in Nineveh with great power, bringing about repentance and faith in that great city. So Jesus, when he rose from the dead, gave us the great commission and the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we could do the same thing. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. Take the gospel to those who don't know it. Um, But that's also a truth that would have infuriated the Pharisees. Remember when Paul before, again, the, the crowds in Jerusalem talks about how God gave him the gospel and sent to the Gentiles. And it's like, that's when all hell broke loose. And like, away with him. He's not worthy of life. So this is not a good concept for the Pharisees. But it is for us. <clears throat> Jesus rose from the dead. And really all of us have. When we come to Christ, that's a resurrection. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. and When we come to Christ, we, are, we have new life. We're no longer dead. We're connected back with God. We can be who God meant us to be. So that, that's a true resurrection we all share in because of Christ. And then the other aspect of that, one, we're reconciled to God. So in the gospel, we walk with God by faith. And then one of the, the things, the ways you know that you're, that you're born again, that you know who God is, is your heart is changed. God gives us his heart. We become more like him. God loves the lost. He died for us. He died for, a lot of, for them. So it's like the sign of Jonah at work in us is living by faith with Christ and being witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know how the Holy Spirit comes to you? What does the Holy Spirit give us? He gives us power. Do you need power just to sit back and be passive? You don't. If you're going to be a witness, you need power. If you want to know the Holy Spirit in your life, take steps. Trust in Christ. Uh, then you, <laughs> and then call on the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. He is faithful. And he, he came. Remember the disciples after the resurrection, they were told to stay in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power. God does not leave us alone. This whole thing about being a witness is a way to engage with Christ. So um, we need to learn to live in and preach the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would you would take, Lord, anything that I said today, that you would bring fruit, that you would bring light to the hearts and minds of your people, Lord. It's your words for them. It's your love for them, um, Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in our midst as a church, Lord, that we would live by faith, that we would love you, that we would love one another, and that your words would bear fruit for uh, for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, we commend ourselves to you today, Lord, and um, Lord, praise you for who you are and what you've done. So the table is open for communion. We'll be having communion at this time. It's for... Anyone who's been born again, who's a believer in Christ, hopefully you are, uh, you've been, as a part of being born again, you've been baptized, you're a member of a church. Those are all important aspects of our faith lived out. And so, but the table is open to anyone who knows Christ as their Savior. And so we invite you to join us now for communion.